You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. So excited to talk to you because I feel like, and it's been consistent, like I've tried to answer this question many times in many different ways, but it seems to be a persistent question that people ask, and you are the expert in this, is which is, how do we even think about something like a return on investment when yeah. somebody is coaching someone? Yeah, I think that that's such a great question to start with because ultimately that is the question. Why should we? How should we be thinking about this and why should we measure? Because frankly, there are people who believe we shouldn't measure. It's wrong to put a measurement on human potential. But I think that given what's going on in our world today, it's more important to measure. So if I think about, we know that about $6 trillion is spent on educational programs, training programs, coaching programs, a huge investment. And we also know that the skills gap is bigger than it has ever been. And I don't just mean like those technical, what we think of as like hard skills, but also leadership skills. DDI has been measuring leadership effectiveness for a number of years, and the leadership effectiveness gap is bigger than it has ever been. And why is that? Because we're spending so much money on solving that problem. So I think those two issues and you know, businesses are really feeling the pain of not having their employees with the skills that they need to have to be effective. But I think if you bring into those two elements, bring into this AI topic, you know, about a year ago, people were not embracing AI to the degree that they are today. And that changed into, you know, November of last year, the huge embrace of AI and the potential of AI to either replace jobs, augment jobs, help people improve their skills faster. I think the dynamics of all of those pieces make it more important than ever to measure, to show the value of a very expensive investment, coaching, to show why that's the best strategy to solve this real business problem, which is that skills gap. You said something that kind of got my attention, where some people think you shouldn't measure return on investment on coaching. Where do you think that thought comes from? Because it's kind of obvious to me that if you can present a return on investment, not only in business coaching, in any coaching, mm-hmm. it's much more likely that your client is more excited to get into it because they know what they're getting into. So if you have a belief system that money is bad, and you know, let's face it, a lot of coaches, myself included, we're heart-centric people. We're driven by our desire to help others. And so it just kind of feels wrong to think about putting measures or especially financial metrics around investing and helping another person realize their full potential. So I think that there's that piece. But I also think that people don't know how to measure. They don't know what to measure. They've tried measuring. They've captured data that was either so much data that it overwhelmed people, or they captured data that they discovered wasn't very compelling. And so maybe they've tried the measurement 
and it hasn't been successful for them. So they've made the decision, it's not possible or it can't be done or it's not very valuable. The investment of time just to capture the data isn't very valuable. I think that that is potentially a piece of it as well as just not knowing what or how to measure. Mm. So what I'm hearing really, what I'm understanding of this is it's largely somebody just going, hey, I don't know how to do it. Or I feel like I wouldn't know how to do it, which is why I'll just sabotage the conversation by simply stating, let's not not calculate the return on investment. Because we're not really capping human potential. We're simply saying for a set period of time, through a set activities or set of activities, you will get a viable result that measures to a return on investment. That have you explored? Because I know it's generally from what I get a sense of, or what I saw online, it seems like you've mostly explored the idea of return on investment in businesses towards coaching. Mm-hmm. Have you True. explored the idea of return on investment also for a health coach or a life coach or yeah. you know some some other format of coaching? Yeah. I love that you bring that up because that's actually how I got started. So in my career, there's a couple of main turning points. And I always talk about my corporate experience as one of the major turning points. But long before that, I was a life coach. And it, you know, like a lot of coaches, I was going through a lot of personal loss. And as I was going through that loss, I started doing what a lot of people do. I you know, read a lot of books. I did a lot of personal development, self-help, you know, reading Wayne Dyer books, The Alchemist, you know, familiar book titles that people are probably used to reading when they're going through that kind of phase. And as I was going through that personal process, my friends saw that I was changing. And they said to me, I don't know what you're doing with yourself, but whatever you are doing, will you do what you're doing for yourself? Will you do it with me? This was way back in 1999. And I would just say, well, here, I'll just give you this book. You can read this book. And they would say, I don't want to read the book. I want you to do what you're doing with yourself. I want you to do it with me. And so I developed a program called Bloom Where You Are Planted, Finding Purpose in Your Work and Life. It was a life coaching program. I sold it through the local community college and I taught it for several years. What I noticed with that program is that people would come to that program thinking that they were in the wrong job or the wrong career. And once they had time to think about their own personal strengths, their talents, create a vision for themselves, what they wanted to create with their life, they realized that they were actually in a job that could help them get to where they want to go. And so with my business mind, I looked at that or you know, I saw that and I thought, this is an employee retention program. So I took that program to a couple of businesses, ran it as a pilot study. And those happened to be my very first ROI studies where I brought this life coaching program to these organizations. It was very fluffy, but I measured the impact of those programs. And uh, it was a major turning point for me. Uh, So absolutely, the life coaching, it fits. If people are evolving or changing or transforming in some way, it usually opens them up in ways where they are more effective at their jobs or their roles. And those are the easiest places where we can monetize. Wonderful. Wonderful. So you moved a life coaching program into a corporate setting, which in itself is a great insight is that you don't have to feel like your container is life coaching. It means only works with one-on-one individuals. It could work Mm -hmm. in a container of a company and it might be helpful in a container of company. And then as you got introduced or kind of um, leaned into the idea of return on investment, what was the first insight or what were some of the insights that you 
were present too that told you that there is there's a measurement that needs to be done here? Well, in those first pilots, so I ran a couple different pilots and organizations. And the first place that we were able to monetize was around employee retention, just because people, they felt better. So they were more engaged in their work. They stayed longer in those organizations. So that was really helpful. The other place where I learned a lot about I don't know if it's so much the insight about the data, but more around the insight of the value of the data. Because I thought this was interesting, but I didn't see how it would be valuable to my business or to my career. But I discovered that it was. So a couple of insights that I gained... You know, it was interesting to me. That's really what I want to say. Having the data was interesting to me. I have a research background. So having the data was like, oh, super interesting to me. I didn't realize how valuable it could be for clients. So I ended up using that pilot data to land myself an incredible job at a Bill Gates-owned global media company. I didn't have a background in leadership development. But what I had that differentiated me is I had tangible evidence of how a development program could make a difference to an organization. So that landed me this amazing job at this Bill Gates company. Then when I got into that Bill Gates company and I landed the job as head of leadership development, when I first got to that company, all of our senior executives had an executive coach. At that time, we had 22 senior executives all across the world. Uh, We knew the coach's names. If you had a meeting with the CEO, you'd probably see the coach in the corner taking notes so she could give him feedback. The CEO of that company would say, everybody needs to have a coach. So coaching was highly embraced in that organization. And that budget and those programs were already in place once I joined that company. Three months after I joined the company, all of those programs were cut because our industry, the media industry, started to go through huge upheaval and they had to make decisions about budget. And I couldn't understand why they were cutting it, especially when our CEO had embraced coaching and said that everybody needs a coach. And so I went to my manager, who was the head of HR, and I said, why are we cutting coaching? I thought they loved coaching. I thought they loved conversations. And he said, you know, Lisa, it's true, but we can't see how coaching is positively impacting the bottom line. And so because of that, I ended up you know, bringing back this idea of having data and evidence, ran a coaching program where I was the coach, tracked and measured the overall impact of that program, shared it with the CFO at the end. It was a nine month long program, shared it with the CFO at the end. And she said to me, you know, Lisa, the impact's probably even greater than what you're representing here. And she gave me a sizable budget. I didn't have a budget at that time. She gave me a brand new budget uh, to bring leadership programs, management programs. It allowed me to keep my job, keep my team and grow that budget. So the insight for me was not so much what the data is saying, but the insight is on how valuable the data is in helping others see the value of the work that you're doing. I am data-centered and I I love data. I I study data all the time. But I also know, especially in the realm of health or realm of uh, life coaching, even in the realm of business coaching, it's not often that you meet a coach who likes data too. They like the human interaction. (laughs) They love the conversations. They love emotions and mindset and accountability. All of the things that a coach must love. And they have a resistance towards data and too much data or too little data, whatever the data set might be. If I was to take away the power from you of saying data and say, let's simplify it. 
even more. So even if we are talking about data, what were the five markers, if I may call them instead of data? What are the five markers, four markers, three markers, whatever the number be, a set number of markers that one must measure, track, or can measure, can track, that you would say is generally globally applicable for somebody to be able to define return on investment in coaching. Would you say there is anything that we could kind of play with and go, this might be a direction to think about it? Yeah. So you're saying what would be the clues that you have a financial payoff of coaching? Yeah. So let me give you an example. It's true. That's that's kind of what you're saying. An example. So you can work with kind of like a case study, let's say. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make it difficult too. <laughs> because I have the best in the world for this. Why not utilize all her brain, right? So let's say I'm a life coach and I am working with um, somebody who's struggling in their relationship. They've hired me to work on their side. They're not struggling in the relationship per se, but they're struggling because they can't keep a relationship, right? So it seems like they're constantly going back into the same cycle of being single every couple of years Mm. because they go through the honeymoon period, they have a great time. And somewhere in that journey, they sabotage the relationship. They will observe that that's the pattern. And they said, I need to work with a coach who can help me navigate what's happening. They're talking to the coach. The coach says they can help. They're saying, but how do I know if this actually and let's say the the coaching agreement is for $10,000 mm-hmm. for four months, whatever the, t- the yeah. time is. But they go, okay, we're going to spend $10,000 over four months. The client says, but how do I know that this investment is worth it? So the way I would think about it in this case, so the way I do think about it is we have a conversation framework I call the money talk. It's a framework that I developed. So if you think about the grow model, it's the conversation framework. And the reason I'm mentioning it is the money talk is a conversation framework that you can use to help I sort of monetize the value of that investment during the sales conversation. So usually people are using the money talk at the end of coaching to debrief the value that you got, but you can also use it in the sales conversation to understand the overall value that that engagement, that that work will have for the client. And it's similar to a contracting conversation. So when you're working with a client and you're starting to document that learning plan or the development plan or whatever the goals are going to be, it's similar to that conversation, but it's different in two key ways. And the first way that it's different is that you unpack much more deeply their current state, where they are today, and you're asking for examples. And then you also, as well as the uh, desired or the future state, you unpack that much more deeply. That's the first way it's different than a typical contracting conversation. The second way is that you're going to monetize the change from the current state or the starting state and the ending state. And the reason I'm bringing this framework is that I think that that is a practical way to monetize something like what you just described. By getting really deep, unpacking very deeply, what's the current state? Why is this an issue for you? How do you think this cycle of dating, being in a relationship, ending, starting all over again, how is that impacting you on a personal level? How is that impacting you at work? Where do you see some of the elements that might be going on that are also happening in the workplace? And then let's go to where you want to be. Let's unpack that. What would that look like to you? What would it mean to you? How would that impact you on a personal level? How would that impact you at work? And it's through asking the client kind of the ripple effect of what's the situation, what it's the impact it's having on you personally 
and possibly also your job that could help us monetize the impact. So if I could just use the scenario that you laid out for me, I could make up a story that somebody who is single, wants to be in a relationship, keeps cycling through. There's very likely something around communicating with others, connecting with others, being open, being curious. You know, there might be some aspects around that personal development. Any transformation in those aspects or skills of a person will spill over into work. So if you're having a hard time connecting, developing the relationship, being curious on a personal level, chances are it's also showing up at work or showing up in some other aspect of your life. And that's where you are likely to find where you can monetize that that transformation or that change. That's wonderful. So I totally see that and I can resonate with that. And I feel like that would be like once you really break it down, like you said, if you break it down by how it's impacting your personal life and your financial life, your career or your business, whatever, depending on what you're doing. Right. If you break it down and add a monetary value to total, would you have this conversation with the person when you're enrolling them? Or this would be like your first conversation post-enrollment? Yeah. You could have that kind of conversation at three times. So you could have it during the sales conversation. The value of doing it in the sales conversation is, first of all, it demonstrates your thoughtfulness and your thinking through the problem in partnership with the prospective client. They start to see you as somebody who is not working at a surface level, but really looking much more deeply with them. And that puts you in a different light. It also helps you as the coach, help the client see how valuable the work is. Uh, They can start to see the overall impact that this will make in their life. And they might end up putting a dollar value on it that's much higher than had you not unpacked really deeply how this problem or this is impacting them on other levels. The reason that's so valuable is you can then, as a coach, price your services in alignment to essentially the size of the problem or the cost of the problem. So that's the first place you can have that conversation. And you'll get kind of close to a monetary value. You won't land on something specific, but you'll get close to it. You can have this conversation again when you're defining if whether it's the goals that they want to work on or the learning plan or the development plan, whatever you call it, that agreement at the start of the engagement where they're going to be working that plan with you. And then the last place you can bring it is at the end as a debrief to understand, okay, what really did change? And at the debrief, that's really where you want to land on the real financial values that your client got by working with you. So those three places are the places where you can bring that kind of conversation into your work with a client. Amazing. Amazing. Briefly, when we started our conversation, there was a brief point where you mentioned how uh, the addition of artificial intelligence platforms like ChatGPT or MidJourney and all these different platforms that are constantly being developed and are fantastic may impact how work is done. And I can be a testament to it. We, We feel our productivity has gone up by maybe 200%, our workload has gone down by 30% ever since we incorporated AI tools. And we've been doing it for a few months. So of course, it's Mm -hmm. we're also seeing the results of that. And I think not only work, our lives are going to be impacted dramatically over the several next year or two. I mean, even probably sooner than that. How do you see that impacting coaching? Yeah. Oh, in so many different ways. First of all, it will impact the workforce. So, you know, as everybody is pretty aware that certain roles will be replaced by AI tools. 
So, you know, I don't know that how that will impact the number of available coaches or resources that people might have to invest in coaching. Uh, the other is that it will replace some of the skill building. When I started in 1999, I really didn't want to be a coach. I was actually working for the SBA. I was doing business plans and helping the SBA recover the money that they had with smaller businesses. So I was more, you know, business focused kind of person, but I was doing that work the coaching work because people had asked me to do it. And in the early days of coaching, it was mostly life and career coaching oriented. Then business started to understand, oh, this is a way to help people get better at specific skills. And there was this evolution period where certainly when I was working at the Bill Gates company, we were using coaching to help people get better at specific skills. Throughout the pandemic, things shifted a little bit and coaching started being leveraged as a support tool or mechanism for people inside organizations, people or even outside organizations. People were searching for answers and you know what's the meaning of their life and where do they want to go? So there was more of that kind of approach to coaching at that stage. I think that what will happen in coaching is that this life coaching, I actually see that flourishing where... I believe more people will be interested in what's the meaning of my life? What am I doing with my life? That's actually going to blossom. The type of coaching that will be impacted more by AI is the skill building kind of coaching. I believe that AI tools will be used more frequently in side organizations to help people build those specific skills, give them more immediate feedback, give them more objective feedback. And coaching might be used more as spot coaching. So the number of sessions might be smaller. You know, the amount of time that is spent working with the person might be reduced. That's kind of how I see it evolving. Yeah, I see a similar trend. I believe coaching is going to become more important because the amount of time, at least that's what I'm experiencing in my organization. So I'm kind of giving real time how I see the world change. There might be less opportunities, immediate opportunities for jobs and less new types of jobs start to wall. It's the analogy I like to share is every technology makes us more efficient and effective, but that doesn't mean we become less busy. Because Google made us more effective and efficient, but humanity didn't become less busy. We became more busy. And you can trend it for every machinery, any technology that came at any time. It could be from factory time to even previous times. It just makes it more effective, more efficient. And we just find new, more interesting work for ourselves. And it tends to be more complex mentally to do uh, than Mm -hmm. what we were doing previous to that. A little bit harder on emotions, a little bit less supportive of groupthink and more supportive of individual think, that tends to be where we go as humanity, which overall has also given rise to personal growth, personal development, spirituality, coaching, all of these other important things for human beings to have a lived experience, a good lived experience, which does not directly correlate to more work. It relates to more inner work. And so I feel coaching is definitely going to have an uptrend and like you said, and the only risky part of coaching may be for large and mid-sized companies. I think mm-hmm. small companies would need more coaches because the gap for a small organization, even a mid-sized organization, is often execution and not strategy. A strategy, you can ask ChatGPT, but good luck mm-hmm. with executing it, <laughs> right? You need human <laughs> beings to really get on it and productivity to come in and a new thought to come in and so on and so forth and emotions to get out of the way and all the things that coaches do. And so will be life, so will be health, because more time on our hands means 
we eat more stuff that we shouldn't be eating <laughs> and do less movement than we should True. be doing and effectively needing more of health and life support. So, so I actually see a really good positive sign in the sense of the opportunity for a coach and actually the need, not just the opportunity in the sense of financial gains, but actual need in the society to have coaches to come in and support otherwise isolating and crumbling society emotionally mm-hmm. because it is going to be chaotic times. Uh, people will lose right. jobs. I mean, they already have and they already are. That does create a challenge in the overall society. So I'm so with you in there is an opportunity and there is a challenge that will occur. But as coaches, I feel like this is our time to show up for humanity show up for the larger growth of how society is going to evolve and we play Mm -hmm. a key role if we show up in the best of our light. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, I think it's an important topic to discuss because AI is here and coaches are concerned and they are not able to figure out how to integrate artificial intelligence into their reality. Mm -hmm. Instead of that, they tend to resist it. They tend to fight it. They tend to disagree with it instead of saying, This is technology. It is here. It's like computers being here or internet being here or Google being here. They are here. You better use it or um, you would be left behind. So so thank you for sharing that perspective. Lisa, uh, what is something that you would consider or you would share with our coaching community at large who may right now be wondering, well, I have something that I do. It's so unique. It's so different. I get such a different thing for my client. I don't think I can put an ROI to it, or I don't think I have a way to put ROI for it. What would be a mind shift or an offer, mm-hmm. a perspective shift that you might have for such an individual? Mm-hmm. Well, I've been doing this work for a long time. I ran a number of different studies. I ran eight studies as a graduate student. And we studied three-year-olds and five-year-olds. And we studied self-concept. And we studied emotional development before EQ was a thing. And the reason I like to say that is that you would think, how in the world are you going to measure self-concept in a three-year-old? But it can be measured. And the reason I like to you know, come back to that example is that everything can be measured. Our breath can be measured. Everything that we're working on can be measured. Our emotions are measured. You know, there's all kinds of EQ assessments. So everything that we do, no matter what it is that you're bringing, it can be measured in some way. That's not to say that everything will be measured in the same way, but I do believe that everything can be measured to some degree. You know, the fact that we just spoke about AI, but the fact that AI can be be so effective. But the big shift culturally is that people are having fun with it. And that didn't happen before. You know, people knew that AI has been around for a long time, but this language model, the approach of it, it, people are having so much fun with it. And so this idea that AI is fun, that is such mm-hmm. a big, huge shift. But think about what AI is. It is something unique. And yet it, what it is, it's a database model. It's, it's all data and measures of words. So everything can be measured no matter how unique it is. People need to hear that. Coaches need to hear that. And, and I, was, I was just reflecting as I was sharing, and it's so important to measure it as well, because while some may agree or disagree with the whole return on investment thing, but I feel even if you work with a CEO on their health and you were able to, just thinking about it, I'm like, wow, if there was a CEO who ran a $10 million company, and you were able to improve their health by 20%. That may mean that their productivity goes up by 50%. 
maybe even 70% because their clarity may go up really high, especially if they were struggling health-wise, mm-hmm. right? Their sense of clarity that they increased by 70%. A CEO's clarity by 70% gain on a $10 million company can easily be attributed to about a million to $2 million in revenue. If you do ROI math calculation correctly, and I don't know what's the right math to do it, but the way I do with my clients is you're paying me 10% of the return on investment you're going to get. So if mm-hmm. you're going to make a million bucks more, my fee is going to be $100,000. I don't necessarily play it that way, but that's how my fee is defined. Like when I do mm-hmm. coach, my fee ranges from 100 to 250. And it's usually the person I'm working with and what I'm working on. Because the mm-hmm. return on investment for them may be anywhere between a million to $5 million or whatever it might be, depending on who I'm working with. And that is true. Say if somebody is a CEO of a $50 million company, you improve their health by 5% <laughs> mm-hmm. and you have given them another $5 million in revenue. You will work with a billion dollar CEO, you increase or make their health better by 2%, they might have generated under $200 million. Exactly. That's really how it works. Mm -hmm. A small change for the point of view that you're looking at and a big return on investment just by changing a seemingly arbitrary measure like health and well-being, which may not directly correlate to business, but it does. And anybody who has worked on health knows that. So it's so important to bring it into awareness of everything that we do because it makes it real for the person that's listening as well. It's like, oh, okay, that's why I'm investing this. While I understand this sounds really superficial, and like you said, not everything, you know, especially when we feel a little bit spiritual about ourselves and we feel like we are elevated beings <laughs> to some sense, you go, oh, it's not about the money. And I get it, but it is. Because that mm-hmm. makes it real. We can tactile, put it and go, okay, this is what this means. And this is what I'm doing here. And this is why it's meaningful. And that's why I'm investing in cash dollars to get a mm-hmm. cash result. And it's it's just easier for a person to say yes. So, so thank you for bringing this message to everyone. What would you say would be some of the stories or some wins that you might share from different perspectives that you may have done yourself or your students might have done to demonstrate ROI? Just so that I feel sometimes when ideas are a little bit not complex, but something that a person may not have explored, it helps to hear a few stories to go, okay, listen, this is how somebody measured ROI or Here is how somebody brought ROI when they didn't even know where to start. Do you have any stories or case studies that you would like to share? Yeah. Yeah, I have case studies. So one of my favorite case studies is about a team that still works in a large global technology firm. I live in the middle of, you know, I've got Microsoft like five minutes away. Google is about six blocks from me. Amazon is about two miles that way. So it was a large technology company that is developing the really huge innovation in technology. And it's solves sort of a global problem. And I can't say the name of the company, but I can talk about the story. And the story was that this team was a team of brilliant scientists and brilliant business people. And they are not the only company that are work, that are working on solving this huge, kind of a huge world problem. And they're developing this kind of innovative uh, technology. And it's so innovative and it solves such a big global problem that whoever, whichever team wins this, uh, figures out how to solve this problem, they will win a Nobel Prize. So really big problem that they're working on. And the team in this organization is full of um, about half the team is academic scientists. Like some of the people on the team are in the Guinness Book of World Records for some of the skills or the knowledge that they have. And then the rest of the team is all business team. So they're all dispersed across the world. 
working on this huge problem that has the ability to basically change the world and also change their lives by being recognized. They report directly to the CEO of this one technology company. And the technology company CEO said, you know, we're solving this huge problem that all these companies are in a race to solve, but that's not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is this getting this team to work together. (laughs) And so they had hired a team coach to come in and work with this team. And because they were all over the world and they couldn't physically get together, they couldn't, you know, meet over a water cooler. This coach met with them four times in less than an hour each time. I think only one of those times was in person. All the other times they were online. Not everybody was present online when they would have the meetings. And the issue that this team was having and why they saw it as a big problem is that the team wasn't getting along and they were missing all of their milestones. And so they were having a productivity issue. When the team coach worked with them, dug a little bit deeper, discovered that there was a lack of trust in the team. And it makes a lot of sense if you think about academic scientists, how do you get recognition as a scientist? Will you keep your ideas all to yourself? You run the test, you write the article, you publish it, and now everybody knows about your unique. That's how you get the recognition. And that's what was happening on this team is they weren't sharing ideas. So they weren't seeing that, you know what, if we all work together and share ideas, we're going to win this award together. And through their work with the team coach, one of the scientists recognized, you know what, if we don't start sharing and collaborating and working together, we'll never win the prize at the end. And so because of that work, and it was really just one session that changed the dynamics of this, this one scientist shared the recipe that he was using inside the lab that allowed them to run their experiments, shared it with all the other labs across the world. They all started leveraging using that recipe. And the result was they were finally hitting their milestones. So the people who manage this work that they're doing said within just a couple of months, they started saving a million dollars in labor costs just because they were hitting milestones faster. Kind of a silly little story, but it was a hard one for them to solve. And it also justified the the team coaching was $60,000. It justified spending more money with that team coach. Absolutely. And it's like I was sharing before, it is sometimes those little things that seem little to when it's solved. But when you're in the ecosystem, like there's so many cases where either I have coached or some of my coaches have coached in companies or in relationships where it was a little communication issue. And that's literally that was the difference between uh, making or breaking. But because they are in the thing, they can see it. They need a coach to come in to be able to see that otherwise it's just missed every single time. They just go, I don't know why we have this problem. I don't know how to solve this. We don't know what is the problem. But it's so obvious when you have an outside person coming in and helping just look at the same problem in a different way. One person changes and voila, a million dollars in savings for a $60,000 investment. I think any company will take that (laughs) every day, right? It's pretty straightforward return on investment right there. Well, Lisa, first of all, can people learn more about this work that you do? Do you have a container or some kind of program or a book or something that you'd like to share with our audience who want to know more on how they can do this for themselves? 
Yeah. We actually have an automated system. So when I first started doing this work, I did it all by hand. In today's world, you don't want to spend any time doing that. You can automate things. So we have an automated system that makes it easy for coaches, consultants, and experts track and measure and also show their ROI. We have a program called 30 Days to ROI, which is our onboarding program that teaches coaches how to use the system and how to get their first client ROI report in their hands so they can start leveraging it to win more business, renew business, and expand business. Amazing. And they will find it on... You can go to myaccelia.com. We'll type it out and we'll put it in the show notes for anybody that is listening to this on any other podcasting platforms. You can find the details of this platform on the show notes. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time. Any closing thoughts you want to share with the tribe here? It is a time of huge disruption, which means there's a lot of opportunity. And if there were ever a time that anybody's wondered if they should measure or show ROI, this would be the time you want to show the value of your work. Thank you. 